All right, we'd like to welcome everybody to today's podcast. This is Love Rice 2.0, Dr. Kevin Skinner, who has a very special guest today. And um, my special guest is the author of a brand new book, and we're excited to tell you about her book and, and, and a really important approach to therapy that I think has been overlooked, maybe, uh, by some. And maybe more important, uh, it's having powerful impact on clients and their healing process. So I want to welcome today's guest, Jenna, and I'm going to get this right, right, Mersma. <laughs> well done, Jenna Remersma. <laughs> Re Remersma. All right. Anyway, we want to welcome you. Uh, if you want to tell our guests a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and a little bit about your practice, what you're doing. Sure. Well, thanks, Dr. Skinner, for having me. I'm so glad to have this conversation together today. And uh, yes, I'm the author of a new book, Altogether You, which is about internal family systems therapy and learning how to relate much more effectively to ourselves in the places where we struggle. And I'm also the founder and clinical director of the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing here in Atlanta. And I'm a teaching faculty member for the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals along with you. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually uh, kind of how we got to know each other at the ITAP uh, Symposium. I think it was the first time I had the opportunity to meet, meet you. I'd heard your name many times, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, um, to our audience, uh, Jen has a great wealth of in information that I want to share and have her share with you. But uh, let me just tell you, her heart is good. And uh, as, as we work with individuals uh, in the profession that we are in, we see a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And uh, Jenna just has a great approach. And as I was reading her book, uh, Altogether You, uh, I, I, I just saw this part of her that I think is very, very open, very vulnerable. And uh, so if you want to just tell the author, or tell us about what it's like being an author and, and, and really what your goal of your book is. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, first encounter with this new model of therapy of IFS or internal family systems therapy turned my world upside down. And it has literally changed everything about my life, uh, my faith journey, the way I do therapy with clients. And um, it is so filled with grace and so filled with a compassion and effectiveness that it just had to be told. It was just a story that needed to be communicated. And everywhere that I go and share with people about IFS, um, the response is universal. People want to get their hands on this material. And so um, one reason I wrote the book was to really bring this powerful model to kind of the everyday person who has maybe no background in therapy or um, no desire to go to therapy, but wants to apply this way of understanding um, their own struggles in a really effective way. So, so let's put this into application. Um, a person, uh, let's say they're stuck, maybe dealing with depression, with some anxiety, uh, or, or maybe they're dealing with an addiction. Um, how does the IFS model work with individuals who are dealing with those challenges? Well, often in therapy and in our faith communities and in life, we tend to see ourselves as monolithic human beings. So if we struggle with an addiction, we say, I am an addict. If we are uh, experiencing depression, we say, I am depressed or I am anxious, as if we were just that one thing. IFS teaches us that we actually all 
are comprised of many different parts. And it's in fact the parts of us that do those things and have those feelings. And that the most effective way to help those parts to heal or to change their behavior is rather than moving against them, which is what we typically do, we move towards them with curiosity and compassion to understand why they feel the way they feel and why they're doing the things that they're doing. And it turns out that when we move towards rather than against, we get a much more effective response in understanding ourselves and helping ourselves to heal and change. You know, what's, what I want to bring up there is it, in our field, we, you know, we talk about people with different parts and we typically think, well, oh, if they've got different parts, I mean, are they you know, dealing with a disassociative disorder or they were DID or what, what's really going on? You're not talking that at all. Well, in a sense, we all have DID because <laughs> DID is just the awareness that we all have parts, but people who do suffer with dissociative disorders just have a little more space between their parts. But the reality is we all kind of intuitively get this and it comes out in the way that we talk. So we might say, you know what, um, thanks for the invitation to the party on Friday, Sally. I'd really like to come and I'd really like to see everybody, but a part of me is just so tired from working all week that I just wanna go home and, and binge watch Netflix. So a part of me wants to go to the party and a part of me wants to binge watch Netflix and those two parts of me have very different desires and goals and really temperaments. And um, uh, we naturally kind of speak that way. Sometimes we'll say, you know, there's this committee in my head. Uh, we, we have a different way of just expressing that there's lots of parts of us and that's really normal. It's not abnormal at all. Right, and I love the way you say that. It's not abnormal. We have different parts. Uh, a few years ago, I was interviewing uh, Dr. Al Siebert uh, he's been his entire life studying resiliency. And as we were talking, he, he was talking about uh, with a girl who, whose parents couldn't understand her. She was throwing temper tantrums, and then she'd just be this angel. And, and the family belief was that there's something clearly wrong with her because she's so bipolar or, you know, in, in how she approaches life. And as he was talking with her, he just started listening to this depressed little girl who in that moment there was something that wasn't quite right and then she'd be happy. And, and that part had really never been given a voice. And he says to her, oh, that's very normal. And it was almost as if the light clicked on her and she said, I, I can feel this way. And, and as you talk about leaning in or coming towards that feeling, uh, anyway, it's very, very powerful. Well, it's very simple, but not easy. That profound concept of, and I'm gonna use an IFS sort of phrase, which is all parts welcome. Mm. All parts of you, all parts of me, even the parts that feel things we don't wanna feel and do things we don't wanna do, all parts of us are truly welcome when we understand them through an IFS model. And so in what, when we struggle with things, let's say someone is struggling with an addiction, when they act out in that addiction, the next morning they tend to wanna to move against the part that was acting out the night before and shame or blame or make 
resolutions that I'll never do that again. Um, or perhaps someone is struggling with depression or anxiety, but we don't typically like to feel those feelings. So we try to move against them. We try to just lock those feelings in the basement or stop it or, you know, do something to move against the feeling rather than welcoming that part of us and saying, hey, sad part, anxious part, I'm glad you're here. Tell me what you're feeling sad and anxious about. Where did you first learn to carry that sadness and anxiety? Um, and, and to be with it, because the reality is that it is when we feel alone in our suffering that we carry the most trauma. And the sad reality of how we often approach therapy or healing is that we leave parts of ourselves alone in their suffering rather than being with them and bringing that incredible power of, of being with in the suffering to the parts of us that are in pain and engaged in behaviors that are hurting, but they don't know how to stop. And it's really transformational. Yeah. You know what I love about that part that you just described is sometimes in my work, especially dealing with people dealing with betrayal trauma, mm -hmm. I find that those parts have really never been given a voice, the pain. So they say, oh, I just got to buck up. I got to be tough. I can't tell my family. I can't tell others. I can't tell. I can't tell. And, and so here they are in this isolatory you know, pain internally, and that part is just screaming, but it's not being heard. And, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about that is being able to give a voice to the suffering, which really in many cases, whether it's addiction or trauma from something, depression, it's giving a voice to a part of us that may have never been heard. That's exactly right. And IFS kind of understands that there's, there's uh, two major types of parts and a core that we all have. And IFS suggests that at our core, who we truly are, is undamaged, positive, and full of life and healing power. And that it sometimes gets obstructed when our parts take us over, but it's always there in every human being. Then we have parts that are carrying our pain and our trauma, and they're usually stuck in the past, and they get activated when they're in a circumstance that reminds them of a past pain. So very often, betrayal trauma activates our exiles that are reminded of past experiences where they weren't able to, uh, to trust people. Then we have the parts of us that are called protectors that try to protect us from pain. And those are everything from people-pleasing and control to addiction and self-harm and suicidal ideation. Um, so all those parts are trying to do in a burdened way is to prevent us from feeling the pain. So when I understand that, something like addiction makes sense all of a sudden why when I'm flooded with, let's say, an exile of shame, uh, an addiction part, of, a part that's burdened with alcoholism would jump up and get me drunk because it's trying to help me manage the shame. It's not doing it in a helpful way, but it's still a helpful part. It's just stuck in an unhelpful role. So if I can be compassionate toward it and understand what it's trying to help me with, I can actually help it um, to gain some flexibility in how it's trying to help me and work with it much more effectively. You know, and as you do that, um, as it begins to have that voice rather, rather than really understanding what that role or the part's role is, right? The exile, 
right? The protector. And, and then you talk about also a manager. Can you tell us a little bit about the manager's role? Yes. So managers and firefighters are the two types of protectors. They both are trying to help us with our pain, but they just have two opposite strategies. So manager parts are proactive. They try to prevent the pain from happening. Those are things that are often very socially acceptable, like people pleasing and control and spiritualizing and um, never saying no, having no boundaries. Um, then uh, there are the firefighter protectors, and those guys are reactive. So those parts of us jump in and take us over when the pain is present because the manager strategies weren't very effective. Manager parts are all the addictions, so alcoholism, drug addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction, love addiction, gambling, eating disorders. Um, those are things like suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, cutting, self-harm. Um, those strategies jump in when the pain is present to try to numb it or get us to check out or not feel it. And they're trying to also help with the pain, but they do it reactively. So managers are proactive, firefighters are reactive. They're both trying to help with pain. And when we put it, all of this together, when I recognize these parts and what they're doing, what's the next step? When I recognize that I have burdened parts, my opportunity through IFS is to move towards them with curiosity. So here's an example of what that would look like. Let's say that I have, hypothetically, you understand, not that I would actually have a part like this, but let's pretend that I have a, <laughs> I'm sure you don't. I'm sure I don't have all of these parts. Um, but let's say I have a uh, perfectionist part, and that's a manager. So it tries to take me over and do everything perfectly to prevent the pain of not being good enough. Okay, so if I have an exile, hypothetically, not that I would, have an exile that carries the shame of not being good enough from past experiences, then my perfectionist manager tries to do it all perfectly so I don't ever have to feel that again. But unfortunately, burdened managers eventually cause the very thing that they are most trying to prevent. So let me say that again, that's kind of a powerful statement when it sinks in. Burdened managers and firefighters eventually cause the very thing they're trying to prevent. Hmm. So my perfectionist part is trying to help me never feel rejected and not good enough. But if I do it perfectly, you're likely to not feel like I'm very approachable and you're likely to reject me because I'm too perfect or it seems that way on the surface. Mm -hmm. And my perfectionist manager eventually won't work. I'm gonna make a mistake and when that happens, my exile is right there flooding me with that feeling of not good enough. So then my firefighters have to jump in. And if I have an addiction, that's gonna be something like alcohol or drugs or pornography. Um, or my personal firefighter is get small. Mm. That's the one I have. I try to get very small and um, just sort of disappear. So I don't say anything. I don't make eye contact. I try to leave the conversation. That's a firefighter that I have. It tries to help me avoid the feeling of not being good enough 
by getting me out of the situation or smaller so I can't be a target of the rejection or the criticism. Um, so I might hate that. In a typical approach, I might hate my perfectionist manager and really shame it and say, you need to just lighten up and let yourself kind of make mistakes. I might hate my get small firefighter and I might say, you know, why don't you just stand up for yourself and have a voice and who cares if they don't approve of you? That's not really helpful. It doesn't shift anything in my system. I just feel more shame. But if I got curious about these parts, and I sort of connected with that perfectionist part and noticed, you know, kind of how it feels when it shows up and just developed kind of a self to part relationship with it and sort of asked, you know, hey, perfectionist part, thank you for trying to help me. What are you afraid would happen if you didn't jump up and do this perfectly? Mm -hmm. And when I can be curious like that with my parts, I'll, I'll get the, maybe the sense or the remembrance of a time, usually when I'm very young, where I messed something up and something really bad happened. So maybe I put my fingers on the glass plate of a bakery when I was a little kid and mom blew up at me. And that's where this perfectionist part became burdened. Because mm. it's like, we're not going to have that again. That's way scary if mom blows up at me when I make a mistake. So I'm going to do everything perfectly. And this part became burdened way back then. Well, now I'm deeply compassionate towards it. And I can help to update it that I'm not a little kid anymore. Similarly with things like addiction or getting small or really anything. Um, most of the suffering in our lives comes from our internal parts being at war. And if we just move against them, we're only making that war worse. When mm -hmm. we can stop and be kind and curious and compassionate and move towards them with love and curiosity and interest in why, how they're trying to help us and where they first learned to help us in that way, suddenly everything shifts internally. All of our parts relax. And we really are able then to lead with love. Mm -hmm from a very genuine place. And that is transformational. And that begins the process of what we do in therapy, which is to actually unburden those parts into what they were originally designed to be. That is great. So I want to um, go into maybe a little bit more of an example with a common population that I've worked with throughout my career. And that's people who've been through betrayal, trauma, infidelity, sexual betrayal. But one of the things that the research shows absolutely consistently is is they're angrier than they've ever been so they have these just this rageful emotion hard for them to understand in many cases like i've never felt this angry i often hear my clients say or i keep reliving this over and over in my mind and it just pisses me off i want to rip his head off or whatever the story may be so let's talk about this from the angle of anger and the, the parts that that really the manager the firefighters how they're coping what their internal voices are you're working with somebody, I'm gonna give you a case scenario. You're working with somebody who's absolutely angrier than they've ever been, and they don't know how to let it go. Yeah, yes, so good. So often what happens with our betrayed partners or spouses is they have these really strong responses and almost say, you know, I feel like I'm going crazy. This isn't who I am, but this rage is there. Um, and, and I just can't get it under control. Well, what that is, is it's warring parts, 
right? So rage is a manager that's trying to help us by creating safety. It's aware that a boundary has been violated and it's trying to really uh, let us know, you know, hey, there's a boundary violated and it's trying to get the dangerous object or person or situation to back up because they don't want to, it doesn't want to be hurt again. But very often we also have uh, managers that are do it right or people pleaser and uh, or spiritualizer managers and those managers do not like the angry managers and they fight amongst themselves and so as soon as the anger shows up to try to create safety the spiritualizing or the shaming manager or the internal critic jumps up and says you need to forgive and you need to let that go and release that anger and all of those things it's really a warring of the parts so if we align with the, let's say, internal critic and shame the angry manager, it's likely to just activate the angry manager more because it feels completely misunderstood. Like, hey, you're not listening to what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help make you safe, you moron. <laughs> but you keep <laughs> going back to this relationship that's hurting you because of that people pleaser part over there. And I'm trying to help you out. So I'm going to amp up because you're not listening to me. Okay, so once we understand that's the dynamic, we can really take a different approach. We can say, oh my gosh, anger, welcome. <laughs> welcome, I'm so glad you're here. What are you afraid would happen if you didn't jump in with this anger and rage right now? Oh, well, I'm afraid that you're gonna stay in this relationship blindly and continue to be betrayed and, and hurt, and this is, the pain is never gonna stop. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Where did you learn how to help me in this way? Oh, well, remember when you were three? And um, yeah, you watched dad do this. And so, you know, you were never allowed to do this, but I learned how to do this by watching dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Hey, critic, what are you afraid would happen? if you didn't jump in and criticize my angry part. Oh, well, I'm afraid you would do it wrong and you wouldn't be a nice person and you wouldn't be, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have high integrity or, or you, might, you might let go of the marriage too fast before you really gave it a chance because I'm worried that that angry part is gonna make you just cut and run. And what if he gets in recovery? So I'm really trying to help you out by preventing you from moving too quickly into a decision that you might regret. And I'm really trying to help you be a nice person. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for trying to help me in that way. And the beauty of it is that the minute we do that, our parts calm down, just like a real human does. The minute we feel heard, we settle down. Mm -hmm. And we so can understand the positive intent of these parts because all of our parts have positive intent. And this is another key takeaway from IFS. All parts are welcome because all parts are good. And that's really important. We're, notice we're not saying all parts are doing good because all parts are not doing good things. Many parts are doing not good things, but all parts 
have good intent. They're all trying to help. And when we can see through the behavior to the positive intent, we now have a transformational relationship with that part that's much more effective than just trying to stop being angry or stop being critical of ourselves. Yeah, so good. Um, one of the things, and you know, I'm new to learning about IFS, but one of the most interesting things that I've found in the, most, in the best work I do is when my clients are allowed to be angry. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, in fact, I encourage them to be with me and share that anger with me because I want that voice. I want that voice to come out. I want it to be heard because when they finally recognize, there's a, usually a core belief. The anger is protecting a core belief. I'm not enough. I'm unlovable. And so the, the, that shame, uh, right? I'm not enough, not lovable. And, and the betrayal now reminds me that I must be not enough. I must be unlovable. And just listening to that part and that authentic pain and the suffering. And what does that remind me of? It reminds me of my childhood when X, Y, Z happened and I felt like I wasn't enough. And I vowed I would never be in that situation again. And here I am, stupid me. Anyway, you can listen to that dialogue and really honoring that suffering. Very powerful part to healing that I think, unfortunately, we overlook. Yes. And that's exactly it. In IFS terms, the, the part that's holding that trauma message of I'm not enough is the exile. And the anger part became burdened with anger and rage when that exile formed. So it's always traceable back to usually an early life experience because that's how burdening happens. And the parts become, when they become burdened with a behavior like rage or addiction, they lose access. Okay, this is a little bit complicated, but track with me. They lose access to their naturally positive qualities. They're still there. They're just, it's like they're under a, like a sheet or something. If you can imagine the part of you perhaps that would bring you discernment is now overlaid with the burden of anger. Mm -hmm. And um, so it loses access to that wise discernment because the anger has become a burden that it carries. And we can in therapy um, or for example, using the self exercises in my book, um, unburden those parts so that they're freed up to be what they authentically were designed to be. Um, and it's deeply self-compassionate, not from a place of, I need to stop being so critical of myself, but from a genuine place of compassion for the positive qualities of these parts and their positive desire to help. Yeah. And that's just it, to help. Yes. Wow. Fantastic. Such great information. Uh, we've I, I, I mean, I could just talk with you forever, Jenna, but, but, but recognizing our audience, we typically, you know, at this point, we'll probably uh, want to close off today, but, but I want to um, just let our audience know that if you go to Bloom for Women, um, we have a wonderful uh, session that Jenna did with us there, and um, obviously this podcast is available, but if you haven't picked up a copy of her book, Altogether You... I would strongly recommend it. It will help you understand more of what we've been talking about today and what Jen has been helping us understand better. Uh, any final thoughts or comments that you would have for our audience today, Jenna? I think my takeaway is really just a repetition of what we said before. What I would love for every single listener to hear and know at a very deep level is that all parts of you are welcome 
and all parts of you are good. And so I want to invite you into this new, very deeply compassionate, transformational way of relating to yourself and to others and um, really embrace that concept. All parts of you are welcome and all parts of you are good. You know, and there's a term you use in your book for that. It's, uh, you'll have to remind me of how you say it, imago, something, how do you say it? The Imago Dei, which is the God image within, um, mm-hmm. that our core, at our core, who we are, who I am, who you are, who every single listener actually is, no matter what wonky things, my parts, your parts, their parts are doing, who we truly are at our core is the God image or the Imago Dei, or the, there's many different words for it, the Buddha, the Prana, the Chi, but who we truly are at our core is deeply, positively, profoundly good and deeply, positively, profoundly life-giving. And for 25 years, I've been sitting with people in my office who have been in shame, who've been betrayed, traumatized. And that part simply rings true with all of them. It matters not. They're innately good. They're beautifully good. And when we allow ourselves to consider that as an option for us, that all these parts are just, just, they have purposes. We're good. And it's allowing that part or those parts to recognize the truth. Exactly. It's a beautiful truth. And it's just a matter of opening our eyes to what is actually there. Awesome. 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 Well, Jenna, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us today. It's been absolutely delightful. Any final thoughts before we end? Thank you so much for having me and uh, just my love and heart to you and all of our listeners today. Well, thank you for being with us and to our uh, Love Rice 2.0 audience. We want to thank you. Jenny will be back with us next time. She actually had a situation that she couldn't get out of. So Jenna, thank you for joining us and uh, to our audience, may you be blessed with health and strength.